0: Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Sufert. My guest today is Yevgeny Perez, who is the VP of Growth at IronSource. Yevgeny oversees all mobile product strategy, as well as IronSource's Innovation Labs, an internal team dedicated to conceptualizing and executing on innovative industry-first products that anticipate the needs of the market. I've known Yevgeny for some time, and I consider him to be one of the smartest people in mobile ad tech, so I was very happy to get him to participate in this episode of the podcast in which we discuss the Android Privacy Sandbox. The Privacy Sandbox for Android was announced by Google a few weeks ago, and it was announced to not very much fanfare. I wrote an article about it on the day that it was announced, and I didn't see much alignment in what I wrote and what some other outlets had written in terms of what i believe to be the impact of the privacy sandbox as well as the potential in this conversation yevgeny and i discuss the various proposals contained within the privacy sandbox for android as well as the differences between some of those proposals and what has come to materialize with apple's app tracking transparency policy on ios this was a great conversation. I very much enjoyed getting Yevgeny's insights on this topic, and I believe that you will too. So without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Yevgeny Perez. So today I've got you on the podcast to talk about Google's privacy sandbox for Android, but uh, before we get to that, how are you doing generally? Where are you? Are you still in San Francisco?
1: No, actually I'm in Israel, so it's, uh, it's a bit later, but I'm back in San Francisco next week for GZ. Are
0: you based out of Israel now, or did you move yeah. back? Or? Yeah. Oh,
1: wow. Back uh, last year. Yeah.
0: Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I'm sorry about the time for this call, then. It was ah. early.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, good.
0: Okay. Uh, <laughs> let's do lightning round then. I'm really excited to, to chat with you today. You know, I consider you one of the smartest people in mobile advertising. You've always got great insights. I always learn a lot when I speak to you. And so the privacy sandbox for Android announcement was a weird one because I feel like there was like torrents of, press that came out covering it like the day that it was announced Mm -hmm. the coverage was i felt like pretty insubstantial and also i feel like i didn't agree with like the general takeaways from a lot of the coverage which tended to be like along the lines of you know google just introduced att for android and here comes the apocalypse and all that kind of stuff you know, my own coverage, I felt like was much more nuanced and technical, but that's not really good for driving clicks. So I thought it would be nice to just speak with someone very knowledgeable and we can unpack all of this in a longer discussion. But just so kicking off with the softball kind of in general, how do you feel about the privacy sandbox for Android? If another shoe is going to drop in terms of privacy protections on Android, you know, after iOS, is this a best case scenario for advertisers?
1: I guess uh, I actually think it is uh, and it's somewhat in the context of your uh, the earlier statement.
0: It, it is weird, though, that, you
1: know, the, the, I think it's been around a month and, and the coverage is so different than what it looked like two years ago on so many levels. But this one, I think looking at the details... Definitely positive. Obviously, Google has had the time to take a different approach to the same problem here, but it looks like they're doing it, tackling the same problems and different different solutions. Definitely an interesting approach that I also uh, hope will bring this topic to some sort of a closure within the ecosystem on how this paradigm shift should look like and and where should things land uh, in what seems uh, the next two years. Um, So definitely, it looks something that is much more digestible. For the average marketer, technically, and also how is it being rolled out? And obviously, it's easier because it started two years ago within the industry. You mean the privacy sandbox did? I mean the you know the whole topic of how to address privacy and the mechanisms around it while preserving how marketing works.
0: Okay, so, so the idea is like you know they've got a little bit of a second mover advantage. They, yeah, they don't. Uh, they, they can consciously avoid the mistakes that Apple made.
1: Yeah, it looks like they're like literally addressing this specific, like known and uh, allowed mistakes. I don't know if it's mistakes, you know, maybe this was on purpose, but um, they they are taking a different approach to how it was rolled out previously by Apple.
0: Well, I mean, there were clearly mistakes made. The fact that they had to delay it, right, shows that they miscalculated something, right? And there was a lot of pushback. And if you make this big announcement and you're forced to delay the rollout by six months in like a very kind of clunky and awkward way. And then when you do roll it out, you've got a slow roll, the adoption curve, right? Because you just have no idea what the consequences are going to be. That's a mistake, right? That that was like a misapprehension or that it's almost just, I mean. It's lack of awareness. I, it was funny because I was talking to somebody about the day before ATT went live. They're like, what do you think is going to happen? And I'm like, I compared it to that scene in Ghostbusters. Remember at the end of Ghostbusters when they're fighting Gozer the Gazarian and Egon's like, let's cross the streams. And they're like, wait, you said to never cross it. Like, we have no idea what's going to happen here. We cross the yeah. streams. Like, that's what happened. I mean, there was no way because, I mean, it's such a complex ecosystem, right? And the data is used in ways that are probably difficult for Apple to understand and it There was just sort of no way of knowing what the ultimate impact was going to be. But it was bad, and it was on the higher end of bad, right? It was on the extreme end of bad. It wasn't a good surprise, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of unknown unknowns back then. And um, at the end of the day, it's, it's not something that is necessarily the best solution out there addressing this this challenge and I certainly hope that uh, with how privacy sandbox is being rolled out less about the how but the, the spec and the tech approach hopefully will will push a change and somewhat hopefully a standard across both platforms and down the road
0: mm-hmm. yeah because it, it could right i mean that's it the whole could. idea of the privacy sandbox is a collaborative environment for people to propose ideas and for people to like stress test those ideas like in the abstract Right. And then uh hopefully for people to converge around good ideas, right? And reject bad ones. And I think like if SKAD network had been proposed in the privacy sandbox, people would have been mm-hmm. like, wait a second, this isn't gonna work versus, you know, the other some of the ideas that have been proposed and killed in the privacy sandbox, like flock. Right. Yeah. For good reasons, right? Like real concerns over this could be reverse engineered, right? You could yeah. you could figure out who the person is based yeah. on these thing. and it's not coarse enough, right? And that's a good outcome, right? That's a good outcome to learn that, right? But an equally good outcome would be, hey, we should kill this project because it doesn't provide enough information to actually do performance advertising, right? Um, and that's like an equally good outcome to discover that, right? And we should just iterate on these ideas until we all converge around one that kind of satisfies everyone that like make, you know, still facilitates an open internet, which is important. It still allows advertisers to reach relevant audiences, which drives the internet commerce, which is a huge kind of just humanity benefiting value proposition and protects consumers privacy right so that like sensitive data can't be leaked and they feel secure in using the internet that they're not just having you know everything they do be sort of observed and instrumented and recorded and there's there's real there's real human impacts to that so privacy sandbox for android my takeaway was like wow this is great this is going to be slow it's going to be iterative it's going to be collaborative Right? And to underscore that, I mean, Google even said, we're giving you at least two years. It's at least two years until we roll this out or until we revoke, you know, the GAID. That's a long time, but then in some ways it's not, right? Because, I mean, these are big undertakings. Like any of these projects are big. Like if you look at Topics API, and that's probably going to change, right? That's a big project. It's a big undertaking to do that well and then to deal with the concerns, right? Because, you know, there were concerns with Flock.
1: This is actually an interesting point because if you remember ATT rolled out, I mean, here in this case with privacy sandbox, 100% GID is out. It's yeah, not right. going to be. I think like at some, some point in time, like 70% of the conversations were about the ATT prompts and how to right. maximize IDFA reach and right. you know, trying to like, you know, uh, hold the past. And here the conversations will be about topics and right. like, uh, the, the actionable parts. So definitely an, an interesting take there. They just killed it. And that's it.
0: Yeah. I like that because it's like, now we're moving forward with the new paradigm. Yeah. Right. Like there's not this middle ground. We're not gonna straddle both worlds. We're moving forward into the new paradigm. It's all aggregated. It's all campaign level. And -hmm. you've got to adapt to that. Because I mean, I was one of those people saying, Don't worry about the opt-in rate. It's gonna be low. It's gonna be too low to do anything with. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if you get it from twenty to twenty two. That's not gonna matter. You know, I wrote this article, um, you know, opt-in rates are irrelevant or whatever. And it was Mm -hmm. just like it's a two sided marketplace. So even if you have a high opt-in rate, like if you're buying from a big publisher that doesn't, it doesn't matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I understand why people were somewhat in denial, but uh and that's gonna be easier, I think.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I would just, just kind of like from a comms standpoint and a communication standpoint and, and like a positioning standpoint and, and packaging standpoint. How would you compare what Google has announced with privacy sandbox for Android to what Apple announced at WWC twenty twenty? I don't want this to be just a you know a case where I'm dumping on Apple because I, I don't wanna do that. I don't I think yeah. Apple's an important partner, you know, I don't, you know, I think they made mistakes, but whatever, put that aside. Hopefully, there's opportunities to come to the table with them and and work together to improve ATT going forward because it's a you know it's a long term prospect right. This is not a you know something that's only going to be around for a short time. But I just from a comm standpoint and what was actually presented because I feel like with ATT, I know I just asked you a question now I'm answering it. But give me a second. Uh-huh. With ATT, it was like okay, we're doing this thing, and it was like a side note in obviously a much bigger yeah. presentation about consumer products. And there wasn't, you know, and they're like, Oh, and we all, we've also updated SK Ad network and there's some docs on the web, but it was like, they were very, very vague about it. Like they didn't do a lot to sort of communicate the magnitude and the profundity of this. Right. Whereas Google, this was a standalone announcement, mm-hmm. right? They made the docs available online. There was, you know, extensive documentation. It just feels like they wanted this to be understood. Right, they wanted this to be sort of grasped by advertisers. Whereas ATT, was almost like they tried to just fast forward past it. Right, like there wasn't a lot of emphasis on it. I would just like your thoughts on that.
1: It's easier with the second mover advantage here, and obviously the platforms are different. Uh, you know, huge respect for both platforms. Obviously, Google is much more embedded to advertising, but you know, if you're comparing this uh, apples to oranges, I think the the fact that there's a clear timeline. The documentation is extensive. The combination of you know what will change and what are the solutions provided, and, and it's called a proposal. Right. And every page has, the first thing on each page is like, I think it's like a huge provide feedback button. And they're engaging with all parties involved. And even the SDK runtime by itself kind of wraps itself and takes ownership on this, one of the biggest challenges within a specific to, to privacy and, and in general within the app ecosystem is how exactly are you know other third parties and tech providers distributing their SDKs and what exactly each SDK is doing. So I think they just took a different route here. And again, they're tackling the same problems, exactly the same problems, but uh, definitely it's easier for them to do it now. But the bottom line is that I think the way it's being consumed and probably the adoption and the participation will be completely different. So I, I believe yeah. the outcome will be something that will be successful
0: yeah you know the, what i worry about though is is i think what registered with a lot of people was like two years right oh we got two years so this is like sure. this is a problem that i'll start thinking about in 18 months right mm-hmm. yeah, that's yeah. kind of what happened with ATT. i mean you know they made the announcement and a lot of people were frantic and started mm-hmm. building solutions immediately but a lot of people didn't and because like oh well you know it's that's in the future and i've got you know which is understandable i mean you've got you know pressing yeah issues to disproportionately focus your time against but still like i do feel like this sort of participation now is within the ad tech ecosystem it's like okay let's collaborate let's build solutions and tools and yeah. then the advertisers are sort of like waiting for the you know sort of ad tech companies to lead that right and then like well you just tell us what you've developed so that timeline is more relevant for the ad tech ecosystem than for the advertisers because they're sort of dependent on the ad tech ecosystem anyway versus att which had like the advertiser component, which was the SKAD network integration and you know the sort of conversion value instrumentation and all that kind of stuff. And then the ad tech platforms, you know, were notified about it at the same time and, and they everyone just sort of had to start scrambling at the same time.
1: Yeah. I think the biggest risk is what you said, this is, is that this two years element. It probably needs to be broken down to something. Different, or at least provide a certain incentives for all the constituents to participate. Now, right. are otherwise, it's not going to be as good in two years, or as usable, or just ready. So, definitely, something needs to be done there. But I think I would be surprised if if it will not uh, gain the, the right traction uh, pretty soon from the you know the relevant players, uh, the the bigger players in the market. That yeah. Will be the design partners and will take the lead here. Right.
0: So we touched on the SDK runtime. I would love to sort of unpack that more substantively. So maybe first, do you want to take a crack at just describing to the audience what the SDK runtime is?
1: Sure. So um, basically, what uh, the, at least how I understand that um, the the big news here is that on one end, I think the uh, from the user perspective, let's let's uh, let's call it this way. Today, the users end up engaging with with apps with many SDKs integrated. Pretty much any app out there has, I want to say dozens of SDKs on average. And every time an SDK requires an update, a user, an end user needs to update the app. The developer needs to uh, reintegrate an SDK, resubmit the app to the app stores, get through the review process, If there's any technical challenge within each SDK, those SDKs will be updated and resubmitted to the stores. And that's that's a pretty painful process. So one thing that is completely different here is basically how SDKs are being distributed. And that's all being streamlined officially by the platform that will, in a way, take ownership on how that is distributed technically and make it much easier for the developer to engage with that and much easier for the end users. And I think uh, when it comes to uh, privacy and in general how SDKs work today, every SDK out there in each app has the same permissions that the the parent app has, and it kind of operates in the same technical memory storage environment, which is just doesn't make sense on many levels. So I think that's that's a big change there that I personally was waiting for very long for many reasons, and I think that's just great news. At the end of the day, the way SDKs should operate. Uh, should be different than how to stay definitely distribute it. So I think this is where also I think perhaps Google, the way they take ownership here and uh, how they connect between the developers and the third parties that provide those SDKs, I think will, will yield better SDKs, better user experience, cleaner SDKs, less fraud, less you know privacy-related issues. So it looks like it's a win-win-win situation there but definitely something that is innovative you know. In one way, but just makes sense that this is how it should work.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think what's nice about this is it's just a big win. Like you said, it's a big win for developers. It's like, I, I never have to update my app yeah. when an SDK update happens again. That's amazing. Okay. So, so like what Google has said about this is like, we're essentially going to run like a, a parallel SDK store in, in essence, right? Mm-hmm. In effect, it's like a separate store, right? And then we can evaluate these SDKs ourselves mm-hmm. if we need to and, again, to prevent fraud or whatever, like just to, just to understand what they're doing. My understanding is like, so the app developer includes some kind of schema in their submission and says, okay, I, need, I'm, I have dependencies on these SDKs, this, 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 and this. And so when the user downloads my app, bundle those SDKs into the app and then just bundle whatever the newest version of that SDK is, right? Um, yep. So that's why you never have, and then that happens kind of right before install. So instead of doing like the compiling before upload, the compiling app is right before install. But what happens So if I'm a user and I download an app and then the SDK updates itself? Does Google Play automatically update that SDK in my instance of that app on my phone?
1: Honestly, I'm not sure on, on the technical details there. But my understanding at this uh, stage from you know uh, reading the documentation only three times, that the SDKs, um, as long as they don't break their Functionality, so they you know they don't provide any additional new new APIs within the SDKs. It should be seamless, but um, at least I want to hope that not, it's not only uh, that, but also theoretically each device has many apps that use the same SDK. So perhaps in the future they will all engage with the same NDT without you know being downloaded twelve times. Perhaps it's some sort of a start because it takes storage. You know, there's I'm sure there's some some complexities there. But uh, it's probably cleaner because at the end of the day, you know, those SDKs are, you know, it's an app player. So why why should you download it 12 times to the same device? Right. So I'm, I'm sure there's more room to innovate there. But at this stage, my understanding is that that it will, will update seamlessly.
0: Yeah, I mean, they make the point in the documentation is when these updates don't introduce breaking changes, yeah. right, it'll just get updated. Okay, it'll, it'll proliferate out into the apps. Do you think iOS will follow suit? Do you think Apple's going to announce something like this?
1: I sure hope so. I think they should because I I, I think it, it addresses a, a, a lot of their concerns. And um it just doesn't make sense that you know all the tech platforms out there that are providing these SDKs that are, you know, powering those apps, their distribution of those SDKs is not that that streamlined. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And the second part is that it just doesn't make sense that SDKs will have the same permissions. Think about you know, SDKs that have you know apps that have, you know, um microphone access, whatever. I don't know. Right. Uh, it just doesn't make sense you know, Right. for an right. SDK to do more than just show ads.
0: Yeah, I mean, that is kind of like a design flaw, right? <laughs> exactly. This might sound trivial to people that have never worked at an app company, but it is enormously irritating when you've got to do an app update every time. That takes up develop, like real development yeah. resources. There's just like this kind of running tax of like every single sprint. You've got some amount of time that needs to be allocated for updating SDKs that have been with new versions, right? And it's, just, it's super irritating.
1: I think the level of confidence in every SDK, significant SDK partner out there will be much higher. It's easier to fix things. You know, the risk is lower. The friction is lower. You know, on the other end, it's going to be easier to distribute the SDKs. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, just going to be easier. Less friction.
0: Yeah, so I'm with you. I hope Apple does, uh, does follow suit. Okay, so let's switch gears a little bit. So Topics API... What do you think about that in terms of its ability to effectively pair users with ads that are relevant to them? Do you feel like that's a solution that is kind of sort of like equivalent efficacy to like the current like GAID or the pre-ATC IDFA based system of targeting? Do you think there's like a meaningful decrease in precision there or, you know, like relevancy pairing? How do you think that'll end up working in practice?
1: I think that in general, it's a very positive addition. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to figure out which ad to show to a certain user. And um, the big differences between how each platform's operate and what are they leaning on, you know, in terms of their first-party data and, and other signals. And with the, you know, with the demise of GID and the introduction of topics, it will introduce a new alternative there that will level the playing field. And it does provide pretty much what's needed while preserving privacy. So the best thing possible is basically understanding the topics. It's not about necessarily what that user has done in the past because that's no longer possible, even without topics designed specifically to prevent that. But it's more around the combination of what is that user interested and, in, you know, with other contextual signals. And that's big. I'm looking forward for that. I think it's a big opportunity for the ecosystem and also from the user experience. I mean, I personally, as a user... Whether it's an Android or an iPhone, in many cases, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm getting irrelevant ads. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that's definitely, you know, there's removing the GID. But the, the alternative is, how do you keep showing relevant ads? Because I think a big part of how the internet works is not only about, you know, monetizing through ads, but also, you know, it's not not necessarily about the CPM, but but it is part of the user experience itself. So when you're consuming content that is monetized by ads, you want to see relevant uh, things. You know, there's, uh, I guess, we'll talk about fledge as well, but Topics specifically addresses that elegantly, and I, I think it can actually be an opportunity even better yeah. than.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for gaming, Topics APIs is probably going to work really well. Yep. Right. I mean, they haven't really, you know, they said. Um, I just pulled up the documentation after we're talking. You know, they don't have a taxonomy published here, Right. So in the current proposal, the initial taxonomy will include somewhere between a few hundred and a Hmm. few thousand topics, right? So my sense is that gets pretty granular if you talk about gaming subcategories, right? And that's super helpful. I mean, that's a great input, right? If you know, like, this person likes strategy games. That that goes a long way in targeting, in in, in providing, exposing relevant ads to that person. That'll be very, very valuable. For non-gaming, you know, the thing about gaming is such a big, and I always talk about how, you know, the reason ad networks could be really, efficient at delivering ads to users within the sort of scope of gaming without needing to build the sort of profile-based banks of data about their past interactions is that gaming is is very deep as a category. So there's a lot of subcategories, right? And so that gives you a lot of surface area to do that kind of relevancy pairing, like the matching, like between subcategories, right? But that doesn't, in a way that the advertisers are actually amenable to, because it's like, well, I don't want you sending my users to like my direct competitor. That's potentially not in my best interest, but I don't mind you sending my users, monetizing my users with ads for categories that are adjacent to mine, where that doesn't necessarily like benefit my direct competitor versus like you think about dating. Like that's very difficult to do in dating because it's not a deep category. There's not subcategories of other kind of are, but like, I mean, I don't know. I've never used dating app, but there probably are. But in any case, it's not as deep, right? There's not dozens of subcategories like as in gaming. And yeah. so it's like, well, if I'm a dating app, I don't want to show any ads because the, the only relevant ad, the, the most relevant ads would be for other dating apps. And so I don't want someone stealing my users, right? My direct yeah. competitor. And I guess travel is is the same. And there's a lot of, you know, categories like that. But gaming is kind of unique in that in the sense it's so big and it's so diverse that there are these subcategories where the pairings make sense, but it's also not directly benefiting. It's not like it's not, comp- so there's no competitive concerns there. Um, and so I think, you know, if Topics API can do like, and again, we'll see because it remains to be seen. But I imagine that they'll have like strategy games could very well, it could be a topic, but maybe it could be like hard-based strategy games. And if you can get that to that level of granularity in terms of the topics, that I could see that being very, very powerful in terms of just driving ads relevancy. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's the part that I like. I mean, it very much depends on the topics, but assuming the amount it will be as granular is that it's about the everything you have on the device and your top to topic. So I assume... You know, a single person, you know, that has a dating app or two, those topics will be out there within the context of gaming. That's at least how I understand it. So if you even if you're playing a game and in your topics is travel and dating, so it is an opportunity for travel and, and gaming. But um, that's at least how I see it from the advertising perspective, not necessarily from whether those apps specifically show ads or not, if they monetize
0: with ads. Right. So let's talk about Fledged. So just as an overview of the the whole proposal or the privacy sandbox proposal, there were sort of like four like specific product or feature proposals that were included in it, right? So the SDK runtime is one, which is will launch soon, right? And then the rest of them were actual like sort of just proposals, right? Like we're opening this up to discussion. Let's have a conversation. So there's Topics API, which maps to the Topics API for web. There's Fledge, which maps to Fledge on the web. And then there's that attribution reporting API, which kind of maps to the attribution mm-hmm. So these are all kind of like parallel products to what's already been sort of announced or introduced as proposals on the web. But uh, let's talk about Fledge. So I think Fledge is really interesting. And if Fledge does sort of represent, I think, a part of the privacy sandbox that has no parallel with ATT, right? That has no parallel on iOS, right? So mm-hmm. it's iOS, SKI network, you've got the redownloaded flag but that's not really helpful for doing retargeting. That just tells you when it's a redownload. Yep. Fledge is kind of built for doing retargeting, which is something that you know is very important to a lot of advertisers. How well do you think that'll work?
1: I'm actually uh, super excited about this one. I think in general, even today, retargeting is, is to a certain extent is broken. First of all, it's not really adopted by most advertisers out. I mean, the clear the e-commerce uh, guys that are relying on that and, uh, I don't know, social casino and, and whatnot. But specifically, when you think about how uh, retargeting works today and what, what does it require from an advertiser? it requires quite a lot. It's designing this flow where you have these specific events that are associated to an audience that you need to manage on your server and, and break out these audiences, maintain those audience lists, whether the user adds something to a cart, where they purchase more than $1,000, whatever it is. And they need to go and provide these audiences to different marketing channels. So there's a lot of user-level data that is being passed around. And uh, it's uh, complex in terms of workflows and processes, but also I think it's a bit risky for some advertisers. At least it's perceived that in some cases it will be used against them. So they will start sharing those device that is out there. Right. It will be used against them one way or the other. And Fledge addresses, I think, both of these challenges pretty elegantly. One is that... As the advertiser, as you're designing your events and, and kind of integrating them, at the same point in time, you can, on the client's execution code, literally assign a user to an audience and remove a user from an audience. So if I add something to a card, I'm now in the audience of people that added something to the card. If I purchase, I'm no longer in that audience, I'll move to the audience that of users that purchased. And at the same time, on the device, I forgot how it's called, I think it's ad selection API. Looking in the documentation. Now, basically, uh, this is the part that I still haven't figured out yet, but if I understand it correctly, as an advertiser, you assign those users to an audience on the device, not going to any servers. And retargeting ads are pretty much preloaded on the device, targeting that user in the future, whenever the time is ready for that specific advertiser. So those. You know, nothing is being passed to the servers here, nothing user level, no identifiers for sure because they don't no longer exist. And those users will be somewhere in the near future, whenever the opportunity is right, will be retargeted and not targeted by their competitors. So I think they kind of streamlined that as best as possible. That definitely looks like it's preserving privacy. And I think I want to say, I hope that it's a big topic, but it looks like it's a good opportunity for a lot of innovation a lot of products and know, out of perhaps uh, additional uh, software platforms to evolve here to address you know how exactly to manage that properly and how to provide that value. Because there's value in retargeting for everyone, but it's yeah. barely adopted today across the ecosystem.
0: No, I mean, that's a really great point because retargeting is actually really difficult to do and it requires a lot of infrastructure, right? I mean, that's like, you know, you talk to the teams that do retargeting well at scale and a lot of whole like, teams within yeah. the marketing org that do retargeting. There aren't many. Um, Right. And there aren't many of those companies because it's difficult. And it's, so it's, it's almost like, well, this is Google saying, okay, well, like the way you were doing it required a lot of effort, mm-hmm. re- required a lot of infrastructure. And it was also sort of a vector for privacy because, it, like you said, I mean, it just requires a lot of user level data being collected and passed around. Right. So it's like, well, if we can do that on your behalf, that's value add to you and we'll maintain the sort of privacy of these people. Right. Um, so it's probably just like a win-win or win-win-win right you know if if this is rolled out
1: there's so many businesses that this was you know they relied on it only and it completely broke in the last uh, year so i think it's a great
0: opportunity well i mean even a lot of i mean you you listed some examples of companies that do or categories of, of companies that do it at scale but the thing about retargeting is a lot of like sort of legacy companies i mean that would be the majority of aspect. Yep. right and you could do it and, and i think a lot of people think about retargeting as like lapsed players but a lot of yep. gaming companies especially on the on the strategy side and more of the core side they were doing retargeting on just a regular cadence for people that may have actually been in the app within the last day yep. it was more about getting them in the app at exact moment right to push them onto the events timeline right like the mm-hmm. the live ops events timeline but then if you think there's, you know, some, some categories of like, you know, like again, going back to like dating, there's just a, a sense that these users, you know, need to be brought back on a regular basis to get them to use the app to almost create that habitual usage profile. Right. And so like doing retargeting is a good way of doing that. Right. And also to make sure that they're using your app instead of the competitive. Like if you're in a, if you're in a category without a lot of depth. Like, this is almost like a defensive use case there. Yep. Like it's a defensive strategy that you can employ. Yep. And But it's like, well, okay, if I don't have a huge team, how am I going to do that? But what's nice about this is like, well, okay, we'll abstract that away from you, mm-hmm. do it for you. And in the process of doing it, we'll sort of protect the user level privacy and make sure that it's done in a, in a sort of responsible way. Okay. Uh, so... Moving on to the last kind of f- feature that was unveiled in the announcement is, uh, you know, the attribution reporting API. So I think it's impossible to not immediately draw a comparison to network. Yeah. So maybe just to start, <laughs> to kickstart this, just what? how would you compare the two? Yeah, it, is, it
1: is impossible not to compare the two. I think the, the biggest difference I want to say is that it's not as disruptive or uh, to a certain extent not disruptive at, at all. Uh, compared to the current tech flows, The biggest uh, surprise, at least with how we got used to from the last two years, is that you can get a um, a signal, a conversion signal pretty easily once an install happens in terms of the attribution itself. So you know that whatever that impression on that topic uh, within that app that was served uh, two hours ago, it worked. And it's, it's a very important part of how the app platforms are used to work. And getting that real-time signal. So I think that's a big, big item there. And again, there's no GIDs, there's topics, there's SDK runtime and how that is combined. Privacy is preserved. So I think that's that's a big win, And uh, I think, when, when in the combination of these elements. So basically, postbacks can facilitate click IDs. It is somewhat more complex in how I think things are implemented. And I think Google has kind of tried to address the the, the, the advertisers, the, the different platforms, different attribution structures models MMPs uh, as well so i think the documentation is definitely more complex but that's one thing that is thing is big i think the the part on, on how the the conversion value and its equivalent is structured is at, at least i think one of the biggest challenges of conversion value was the time limitations yeah. of timers timer one timer two so basically we're pretty much able to capture the first 25 hours, mm-hmm. 100% of the cases, and all the rest was a big struggle, is a big struggle. And here, it goes deeper up to 30 days. And there's more than a single event. So you don't need to like yeah. strategize, should I send it later or not? Up to the three signals uh, within 30 days, max two, up to two days, up to seven days. And it's a, con- a configurable third point. So it can be day three, that's what you care for. It can be day 14, it can be the day 30, whatever it is. And I also like the part that was a big challenge with Conversion value that you needed to create a strategy that will fit all of your marketing channels.
0: Right, uh, right. That
1: signal was going everywhere in the same way. And here you measure everything just like you're used to, not disruptive at all. Each marketing platform will get the signal that they care for, that they will prioritize in the relevant time. It will be actionable, will be anonymized. You won't be able to you know cross-reference and figure out exactly who that user is, which is great. Doesn't really matter as much anymore because you don't even—it's not as actionable without the GIDs, and um, it just provides the confidence to keep spending. I think, especially with the aggregated part, which is just gives you a full picture. Basically, it's day thirty, ARPU measurement, and when you connect the dots, it becomes ROS. So definitely different there. There's a lot of technical details there that I'm sure I haven't figured out yet, but it's uh, it just looks actionable and, and less disruptive. And I think also the part that they cover app-to-app, web-to-web, web-to-app, app-to-web, and all four permutations of app and web, I think also was a big part of what Apple struggled with. And and um, it kind of put the, the wrong perspective in Apple search ads, I think, as well which couldn't use SK network because it's not really as app to app as all the rest of what SK network is measuring so I think it's uh, something that will be much easier to adapt quicker definitely a positive uh, outlook on that one
0: Yeah I mean my sort of read on SKA network is you know if you had like a book that was called like you know whatever practical approaches to preserving user privacy and digital products and you just like flipped through the book and pulled out every single approach that was articulated and combined them all into one framework that's skad network right you've got the limited dimensionality of campaign ids mm-hmm. you've got the timer system which is a, just a disaster prevents even just cohorting you've got the limited Granularity of the conversion values, right, with just the six bit system, you've got the privacy threshold. I mean, you've just got all of those things like in combination, mm-hmm. dilute the signal to such an extent that it's basically there's very minimum minimal value that, that is sort of extracted from that from that framework. And you know what I like about Google Google's approach here, the attribution reporting API is like so. First of all, right at the gate, supporting view through, right? They have was it was three triggers for click. Two, they said two to three for view, right? So right out of the gate, they're supporting view through. They've mm-hmm. got the multiple attribution windows, but those are fixed, right? So you can still do the, you know, you, you still have some sense of cohortability. And then yeah, just the multiple triggers—that's so valuable, right? Yes. It's you know, to your point, it's like the conversion value lot. Like what it ended up being was just like everyone was like, okay, let's just front load it and let's try to get it done in you know in 24 hours, right? Because that's all you know we need to get the signal back and and also like. Anything that happens later, you're fighting against the retention curve, and so then you don't, you know, it's going to be very difficult to trigger that or to sort of uh, satisfy the privacy question.
1: I think it was also impacting some of the products, like the front loading the monetization itself. The you know, it's no a yeah. free trial; it's it's a subscription. So because you don't right. know, so like it drew weird like product decisions. Um, right.
0: No, but that, that's, what I, that's what I mean. It, that just changed the uh, the product design calculus. Like right, we've got to front load all of this monetization. <laughs> And that's probably like, I don't know if that's a, the best user experience, right? But it's just what's necessary because how do you grow a product with ads? Yeah. Right? That's it. But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited by this. And I hope would be that, you know, this does influence some of Apple's later iterations on SKA ad network. And they do take some lessons from this and they do sort of improve SKAD ad network yeah. as they see that, wow, advertisers are responding really in a really positive way to this. And it's actually very useful. And also, hey, by the way, it's preserving of privacy, right? I don't see that the SKI network approach compared to this is sort of like much more meaningfully protective of a user's privacy, but it's just going to be much more functional is my hypothesis. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. It remains to be seen. But where can people interact with you? Where can they engage with you? Where can they discover you? Uh, How can people catch up with you on the internet? LinkedIn,
1: Twitter emailed uh, yevgeny.b at is.com yeah pretty standard ways uh, yep yeah, feel free to reach out with any questions any feedback any thoughts on this uh, topic or uh, or any other
0: and of course the mobile.memo slash is also a, a communication yes, channel for yes, you i'm there 100 all right for well, yevgeny i appreciate you taking the time out of your evening to chat with me today i uh, really enjoyed this conversation and i'm sure uh, everyone listening did too thank, thank you so much you. thanks take care